Richard Edison. It is strange that in the midst of so much love that I'm to, this morning going to talk about hate. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy time, isn't it? We're living in this time where, where there's so much disagreement, so many hate going on between people. If there's any lines to divide people, those lines have been drawn. So today, in order to reconcile, unite, I'm going to use an illustration that links back to a certain generation. Because I'm biased. I use a lot of like young people illustration, you know, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Today, I'm going to talk about VCR. And if you know what it is, you've just revealed your age. The VCR is a wonderful invention. It is the precursor for all the scrolling you can do on YouTube. Without VCR, you have no idea. They can fast forward, rewind, replay, and then get stuck because buffering. That's not buffering. It was the tape getting twisted. Uh, for the young people who don't know, get to know your older generation. Research VCR and know how privileged and blessed you are as a, as a generation. So my house had one, right? Had one of those VCR machines. It was so expensive. It's like 200 bucks for this little thing there and the tape. You have to buy the tape. Empty ones. That's the, the one that can record both sides, the one you can record on one side. Right? Buy the right tape, and then they get moldy in Singapore really quickly. So you have to copy. Right? Copy the old tape to the new tape and whatever it does. I remember last time you know, in the neighborhood shops, there used to be shops that rents out VCR, Hong Kong drama serial and all that. You rent 50 and then you go and watch it one shot. Today, you don't need you got Netflix, you know? It's so easy. One of the things is, right, you, you watch certain things. So we were used to record um, certain programs, especially as kids. All the cartoons used to be on Saturday mornings. All the cartoons. There was no YouTube or whatever. So if you miss the cartoon, you miss it for life. Forever. So what we do, you know, the, if you're smart enough, the VCR is a self-programming thing. You program it to start recording at 9 or 10, then you put your tape in, you leave it there, you go to church, you come back, you enjoy your Sabbath lunch, you, you be a good boy, sundown, you can play it. <laughs> and watch the cartoons, right? And then sometimes the, the timer of the VCR and the actual clock, you know, didn't synchronize properly. You start recording too early, and then you see all these ending of the previous show, and then what you do is you forward, and then you watch. And then sometimes, right, those TV stations mess up. They replay the same episode. Oh, man. And then you forward, it's like, oh, it's the same episode. It's so angry. But aren't you living in a time that you wish you could fast forward this pandemic? This is all get to 2023, right? This is all get there, it's over. I've been having a few conversations recently, and then some people are like, no, 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 no. Let's not fast forward to 2020, uh, 2023. Let's just fast forward to Jesus coming again. I don't know whether some of you are those kind of people. You buy a book, and then you, you, this is the front, this is the back, and then you read the conclusion. Ah, it's a good book. Okay, then you start reading. Yeah? We have the conclusion. It's a good conclusion. But we wish we were there already. Yeah? Don't we, we, we wish we were like, Fast forwarding and then the tape, but then as we fast forward, it's as though the tape came out from the, the, the thing and got stuck in the machine. Then you have to unscrew the machine and untangle the tape and then wind it back in with a pencil. 
Anybody use the pencil trick? Yeah? <laughs> use the right pencil. Or some pencil, you, you will just spin. You don't use the one with the angles. Yeah, you spin it properly. Yeah. So old, eh? Nobody knows what I'm talking about over there. These young people are like, what is Pastor James talking about? It's as though we're stuck in this repeat and repeat and repeat and going over again and over again and we're getting frustrated, we're getting angry and there's nowhere to express that and we start expressing it on one another. It's easy nowadays. You go online. Send. All this verbal anger. Just pour out. And then somebody read that text with no emotion. It's just text actually. And you impose your own frustration into those texts, and then you reply. This is happening in my office. You know, there'll be this email from one of the other team, and then you read the email because you have this prejudice that they're against you, and there's this, all this thing at the back of your mind. You read it, and you're oh, it's so angry. And then you're like, guys, we have to reply to these guys accusing us of delaying the project. And then, the next thing you go, you go to the pantry for a cup of tea and you say, hey, did you get my email? And you look at me, yeah, I did. Oh, oh I'm just going to tell you that, you know, thanks for your help in the project that although it's delayed, it's coming across. Oh, I guess I read it wrong. But then he goes back to his desk and he received that email that I replied in anger. He's confused, what's going on? So much of that nowadays. We forget that can sit down and have a proper conversation. Guys, I know you're working from home, right? But for those of you who work in the office, the cubicles are very near. So my team implemented a rule that we're not allowed to message somebody if that conversation is less than five minutes. You get up, make old people noises, and then you walk over, and then, bro, can we have a chat about that? And settle it. Less conflict, less problem. Project got delivered earlier. Team got good, good recommendations. You're so bad at one point that I will be sitting back to back with this guy and I'll message him. No, it's not allowed anymore. Today, we're hiding behind technology, Zoom and all that, and we're divided and we, we have you against me, him against her. Us against them. There's so many things that I believe if you just sat down and have a conversation, it'd be different. When you hear where this person's coming from, you hear the frustration, the, the stress, the need, all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, our disagreement is not such a big deal anymore. The left and right. The binary stand you have to take that you're either that camp or this camp, and if you're from that camp, I can talk to you. That's the best solution of a conflict, right? Stop talking. That led to the Cold War where people start almost tried to throw nuclear missiles at each other. Stop talking. Then there's this thing. Now young people illustration, right? Now young people illustration. There's this thing called a cancel culture. Older folks, if you don't know what it is. You've just been cancelled. If somebody makes a statement that people don't agree with, and online, this whole group of people just said, this is not accepted, cancel that person. 
I had a good friend who just got canceled for no reason. He's a pastor leading a church, planted a church, became quite a few church, and there was four people. Mind you, one church of his, one branch, has about six to 800 people, and he has four or five branches of those churches. But four people came to the office while he was not in the office one day and told the staff member about their complaints. Four people, mind you. Different complaints, not the same complaint, right? Different complaint against this person, the person who received the complaints, thought of it more than it is, called an elders meeting without that person present, make a decision to have an inquiry into his conduct. He was fired on that day from the church he planted and gave 10 years of his life only for the elders to recognize two weeks later they made the wrong decision because these four people has been excommunicated by the congregation, by the congregation. It's not just the pastor who had a problem. The whole church that they were a part of had a problem with that person, and that person was trying to take revenge on the person he thinks was most influential. Cancel him out. So easy. So the, the, the encouragement today as a church, maybe we need to go slow. But what if, what if the whole world is trying to cancel us? What if the Bible tells us that as a prediction, as a prophecy, as a reality that we refuse to accept that as Christians, we may come to a place where people is going to hate us? We don't like to talk about this part of the verse. We skip over it. We talk about everything else, about the prophecy of the end time, about Jesus coming again. We talk about the, the gospel going to the end of the world, but we don't like to touch on this, that the fact before that happens, there's going to be hate. Matthew 10, when Jesus first called his disciple, he first calls his disciple before he sent them out, just before John, before the start of this whole thing, before John the Baptist was beheaded, that was like the, the, the milestone, the launch of this entire trajectory of hate by the beheading of the original evangelist, John the Baptist. 10.22, calls the disciples, the 12 apostles, named them apostles, commissioned them with authority to preach the gospels, to plant churches, to bring this gospel to the end of the, of the earth. And in verse 22, in the very first briefing. It's really hard, right? If you, imagine you join a new company and then the first briefing by the manager is like, you know, the, the fact that you are part of this company, nobody will like you anymore. Uh, three months trial, right? Uh, probation. Uh, can I quit today? <laughs> like this. So the chief commander, Jesus, comes to his apostles like, before we go on this mission. Now hear this. And you will be hated by all. Whew. Not easy, hey? For whose sake? Not even for what you've done, but for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Ever thought about that? I hate that. I hate being hated. I like being liked. I love being loved. Nobody likes being hated, right? 
But in fact, you choose to bear the name of Christ to be called a Christian. It comes with territory. And that territory is a territory of hate. So what do you do? So the question today is not whether you will be hated or not. That is a fact. You can avoid it as much as you can. And in fact, if you're not hated, then, then there's a question why you're not hated. I'm not asking you, church, as that online, whoever's listening, to go and find hate or to do things that make you hateable. Don't be annoying. Don't be ridiculous. But the fact is, accept that you will be hated as a part of your adoption into this family. It is so important to Jesus that in his prediction on the, on the, on the mountain, on, on Matthew 24, he repeats it. So he started, and he commissioned the apostles. He talks about it just before he's nailed to the cross and leaves the apostles. It's just, just in case you forget. Verse 9. Matthew 24, verse 9. He repeats the exact same thing. Just in case you forget. But the fact is, I, I've chosen to ignore and forget this part so for, as long as I can. But you can. Verse 9, chapter 24, Matthew says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will... Oh, this is hard, eh? You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Not even a Christian nation will like you. There's some nations who claim to be Christian, not even they will like you. All. So what do you do? Are you going to like, Pastor James, is that a like opt-out form I can sign today to stop joining the church community? What are we to do? So there is a church that went through that. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. So it's as though he knows you'll forget. Then Revelation, in the letter to the seven church, in the beginning of the letter to John the Revelator, he talks about it once again. As an illustration that this was happened, it's going to happen again. Revelation chapter 2, in a very short letter to this specific church, other churches will have longer letters. Actually, it's not so good. Because there's a lot of like bad behavior. That, I mean, this is one of the few among the seven churches to be commanded. And that's it. There's no negativity about this church. It's just like, guys, good job. Hang in there. So as I talked about in reading the seven churches, Jesus introduces himself as the solution. And then he will talk about the situation and then he ends with a promise that is the solution. In verse 8 to 11, just these short four verses, we come to the church of Smyrna. In Smyrna, it is this church that's going through a really difficult time. In verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, hear the promise, who died and came to life. That's, that's the identity Jesus is portraying. Who died and came to life. And says, verse 9, I know your tribulations and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, 
but are or but are a synagogue of Satan. Oh, this is strong words. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. First thing is there's no getting out of this suffering, this hating, but do not, do not what? Do not fear. Don't live your life in fear. There may be situations, circumstances that's surrounding you, that's attacking you, but your job is not to live in fear. I have a friend who's like, man, dude, I'm going to move out of Singapore real soon. I'm like, where are you going? I mean, I'm going to go to Australia. I'm like, oh, okay, which part of Australia? I don't know, maybe Uluru. <laughs> I'm like, you know where Uluru is? Where is that flat mountain in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> like, bro, I've been there, bro. I lasted five days I got out of that place. Oh, how was it? It's beautiful. That's it. There's nothing. No water. No house. To visit the actual mountain, you go out in a four-wheel drive and you pitch a tent and then you, you, you create bonfire and then you roast stuff and you eat it. It's fun for three days. And then the fourth day is like, Beautiful, huh? Beautiful. Kangies, eh? Kangaroos. Yeah, kangaroos. Wombat? Yeah, wombat, wombat. Snake, snakes. 80% of the snakes that can kill you lives in Uluru. Fact. Are you going home yet? Bro, why are you going there? To prepare for Jesus' coming. So you can stand on the mountain and then just lift you up? Is that what's your opinion? No, 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 no. So I can hide. I can hide. Bro, there's nothing. There's only Uluru and sand. Wrong, wrong place. Choose somewhere else. Afghanistan's not bad. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. It seems as though God plans for that so that you will benefit from it. Wow. And for 10 days, this is prophetic time, 10 days, long time, you will have tribulations. Again, will, affirmative, definitive, no out. Thankfully, it's for, for them, not for us, maybe. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I am the one who died and have come to life again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The one who concurs will not be heard by the second death. That is the promise to the church. Don't like to read about that, but that's reality. Do you feel persecuted? Praise God. Do you feel like in trouble, pressure, burden, frustrated by life? Praise God. Not because we like to be tortured, but because it's fulfilling prophecy and you know it's going to happen and you are going through it, it means the end is coming. You're getting over going through it. But it also means that it is going to be hard. So I'm not denying it is hard, but the key idea about this whole thing is this one question that we could ask ourselves. How do we be faithful to Jesus. What is the right reaction to a promise of 
apparent suffering and difficulty and challenges, what do you do? What, is it, what does it mean to be faithful? So this verse will challenge the notion of those of you who grew up in church who think faithfulness means this. You show up in church, you give your tithing offering, you serve in ministry, you are a kind person, and then you pray every day. You will challenge that notion because why? Maybe you can't even go to church anymore. Maybe you, don't have, you can't just pray every day. Thank God for the three meals. Thank you for, for life. You can pray, God, can I live through this day? Maybe the prayer, the Lord's prayer, give us this day our deliverance becomes a reality. There are brothers and sisters among us that's already praying that. The fact that we don't thank God for that, but they are already, already, not even the wider Christianity, just among the Adventists. There are people going through that on a daily basis, praying, God, may I have bread tomorrow. Do you realize that? So it's not something that may happen to you, but some of our brothers and sisters are already going through that. They're brothers and sisters that, that, that wake up in the morning and they go to church and the church is torn down. There's no church left. Already living there as a reality. Just got a call from my friend the other day. I wouldn't say which country, but you will know that it says, you know these other brothers of ours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been arrested and he's in prison now. He woke up one morning and they knocked on his door and took him away. When is he coming out? We don't know. The last one that got arrested has been in there for three years. I don't wake up to that, thank God. But I have brothers and sisters within the church that's already going through that. Classmates, colleagues, going through that. Even crazy, because the friend I'm talking to, he got out of prison after 13 years. For what? For doing what I'm doing exactly at this moment. And then you know what he says? Thank God. I'm like, brother, I need to talk to you, talk to you more often. How do you praise God after 13 years? He says, why not? I got out, didn't I? I'm like, <laughs> I might have even left Jesus already by the second year. But I said, no, 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 no. The 13 years I was in prison, my church grew by 3,000. They didn't need me. He can't even tell me where the church is. Because over the phone, he doesn't trust anything. Reality today, conversation was just last week. How are we to function? C.S. Lewis writes that one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to make us forget that he exists. And in Singapore, it's easy. There's no persecution, no spiritual attack, there's no trouble. Maybe that's the strategy. No trouble. So you forget that you need God, that you forget that God says you will be hated, that God, you forget that there's things to be done, that you forget that others need to know Jesus because it's okay, their life is pretty good, isn't it? Maybe that's the challenge for us. So how do we react? Do we fight back? Do we retaliate? Do we go online and we tirade against them? Do we protest and we say, let those people free. You arrested them without justice. Is that what we do? The Bible tells us a different story. Peter reacted. He took out the knife and he 
chopped off the ear. You try to arrest Jesus, I'm going to cut off your ear. Jesus didn't say, good job, Peter. He rebuked Peter. Imagine you're Peter like, Jesus, I'm trying to protect you here. And yet, what? I, I, I defended you and now I'm getting a scolding? Jesus takes the year, heals the year. Has to be done. Instead of retaliating with anger and violence, which is the tricks and ways of the devil, Jesus retaliated, re, re, attacked with love. He retaliated with healing. He retaliated with kindness. Rebuking his own people says, that's not the way of my kingdom. Hate is the way of the devil. They can hate us, but our job is not to hate them back. If you hate them back, then you're just the same. That's not what I'm here to do. If that's the way I'm to do, I will come down with my mighty angels and sweep them up. But no, I came as a baby in a crib. I came as a savior to die on the cross. That's my way. It's really difficult. Really difficult to, to listen to that as a Christian today. Really hard to accept. Really challenging. My opinions important. I can't just let that person get his way. Siva brought out a point that I talked about. Instead of praying for somebody, maybe at this time as Christian, instead of praying just for somebody, pray with somebody. And maybe not just one person. The church needs to come together more in prayer together. Not because there's a program, but because you realize the reality, the need, and the power of prayer. When was the last time you tried to do things on your own? For me, every day. And as I was chatting with, I had a class this week. I was just chatting with my friends over there in the United States, my classmates. Just sharing about different things we're doing, challenges we're going through. And there's one guy who just challenged me. And he said, man, this week is hard. And I'm like, bro, so what, you know, me and the brain, fix it. What deal with it? He's like, no, 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 no. This week, I was, it was so hard, I took the whole week off to pray. Because I know that anything else I add to the situation is not of God. I need to take my hands away and let God rebuke me and teach me what to do. If it was me, I would be like, let's jump into this and work overtime. Let's have more meetings. Let's talk about this. He says, no, I went away and I prayed and confessed to God my sins. I like it. And this person's a younger pastor than I am. And I'd be like, this moment, you are my mentor. You are teaching me something at this moment. Because I need that. It's easy in the face of hate that when everyone hates you to say and proclaim, this world is not my home. I can't sing it because I always have to go for ART testing by clinic. Although I have to do self-testing. But then, this is not from the song. This world is not my home, but my family member lives here. It's easy to reject the world. The world is not my home. 
I'm going back home to heaven. Guess what? The rest of the people there are still there. And family, I'm not talking about blood only. Yes, there's blood, family. But there's all around. The stranger you meet as you walk out these gates has been redeemed by the blood of Christ who makes him your brother, your sister. The world is easy to reject and objectify. I think of the world as the devil's, as the Satan's territory. Because ah, this world's not my home. But in there were people that Jesus came and died for. What are you going to do about them? The world, this world is not my home, but my family member lives there. Your family has to go to heaven with you. Or else heaven's going to be a really lonely place. That's the, the hope, isn't it? that the one we lost, we will reconcile, reunite in heaven. What's the point? If death separates us, and then we go to heaven, and we're still separated from our loved ones, then who wants to go to heaven, isn't it? Jesus, we love. He's there. We want to go there for him, yes. But he doesn't want to be there alone, too. That's why he came. That's why he made you and I. That's why he, he loves us so much. He invites us into his home as family. And, and he just doesn't want just us to get there. He wants to go there with others. It's easy to just think of my salvation, my walk with Jesus, but the fact the Bible tells us if that's all you think about, that's not faithfulness. That's legalism. That's trying to earn your way to heaven. Faithfulness includes others. Faithfulness is not just making it across the line, not caring about anybody else. Hands off my legs. Don't drag me down into the water. Faithfulness is saying, I may not make it up to the boat, lifeboat, but here's my hand. Let's come. Let's get up together to realize all of a sudden that you've already been lifted up by Jesus. So he compels us. The only reaction that God has asked us to, to adopt is not to fight back but it's fight for. Not to fight against the world, but fight for the world. And this fight comes in the form of serving those around us, including the strangers. Just got off a call from the Westside Dormitory yesterday with Terrence, the manager, and they're struggling. If any time the dorm gets hit, Westside gets hit every single time. He's struggling, because not because, you know, the thing, he's not struggling because of career or work. Or he's, he's a Christian. We got brought in because the, the CEO was a Christian. He, he's, he's aching, aching for his, the people that he doesn't really even know, but he knows he cares for them. The migrant workers, they're suffering. He calls me, and he's almost at tears. It's like, they are struggling. And yet, in the call, it was not to just ask for help. The call was like, but I remember you today, Pastor James. How can I pray for you? Instead of calling to say, Pastor, pray for me, he said, Pastor, I want to pray for you. Because I know I'm going through a hard time. You must be going through a hard time too. I'm like, why didn't I call him first? Serve those around you, including the... the, the but don't just serve them. Or serve them, as the Bible says, as you would serve Christ. And, this is the bigger one, and as Christ. Whoa, blessed on me. 
But the Bible says clearly that we are the body of Christ. Doesn't that make us Christ? The hands, the legs, that people, the only Christ they can see at that moment of struggle may be our service to them, and that is Jesus. Not because they see our works, but because they see through us what motivates, compels the brain that drives us to serve them with no reason. See, for, for Terence, he doesn't have to worry about his people. He just can call some events company and then say, blame the government for the restriction, and that's all. It's okay. No, 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 no. He continuously, actively engages different groups, Christian groups, inviting us into the dorm to try and work with them. Because he says, I love them more than just dorm resident. I love them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want them as they go through my dorm to be able to have a glimpse of Jesus to go to heaven too. He's serving them more than our regular service to them in more ways than one. He doesn't serve them because God says, oh, you must take care of my own workers. No, 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 no. He does it because he wants to and he, he does, he initiates. Serve. It's not a once-off program a year. Serve is not just doing things randomly. Serve in the Bible encompasses the meaning of a continuous, persistent act, which, by the way, is the same definition for faithfulness. Continuous persistency. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to Christ is also faithfulness to His people. Do you serve them just to ease your conscience, fulfill obligations because Pastor James said we should do it? Or you serve because you see that you're serving Christ? You shouldn't forget that when Jesus comes, the question he asks is not how much Bible you have remembered or memorized, but how much of the Bible have you lived out? And how do you live that out? Did you feed the poor? Did you clothe the naked? Take care of the widow? Do you visit the prisoners? Because that's his first proclamation when Jesus stood up to ordain his ministry, the anointment of his beginning of his ministry. He read from that verse that that's why he's come to set people free. You say, James, I want to set people free from the bondage of sin. Yes, but sometimes that comes through serving them in their real life needs. You don't need to talk to them until you've served them. You want to skip to the part where we can convince them, but sometimes the convincing happens as you serve them. Serve is not approaching from a position of authority or power. It says, here, it's the handout. Which is so easy for those of us living in Singapore to think, I've got some spare cash, here you go. Take care of this. This is for you. Service comes from a position of humility. I'm not here to give you because you need and I'm, I have plenty. We're here to serve because you need, I need, Jesus has provided through me. To serve has to be from a position of humility. How are you serving others? How are you serving your neighbors? How are you serving your family? So easy for me when I try to share the gospel with my family, relative, extended family to go, I'm the pastor, I'm the trained one. Let me tell you some Bible truth. No, I have to approach them from a position of humility to realize I'm no better than you. I just had more education. But let me share what Jesus is doing through me, to me, with me, and wants to do for you. Faithfulness equals to consistency. 
So that's the challenge, church, is not to do it, check off the box, leave it alone. In the face of hate, as you are hated by many, Jesus says endures, but he doesn't say bunker down. The word endures there for the church of Smyrna was to endure and continue to do the work you've been doing. The church of Smyrna was known for serving the community. That's why despite the persecution, they weren't destroyed. And then it's easy, yeah, to wait for the church. I'm not serving because the church has not planned anything. These two years have told us the church is useless. Because you are the church. This church building, this program, we can't facilitate anything, but you can. Consistency. By the end with this verse, it's a second part of our scripture reading in Psalm 85 verse 10 to 11, which was a verse from my morning devotion last week, just last week, um, that I added into this sermon because I finished it. But it's just God was reminding me of this important truth that as I was reading it, meditating on this, ver- this psalm, this two, the verses of call to worship came to my mind and these two verses says, God says, end it with this. Psalm 85 verse 10, 11 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. It talks about embodiment of these two important elements of our Christian life that Jesus fully encompasses but challenges us as His followers to do. That the faithfulness we do It's not because we are doing and trying to get to Jesus, but God says, I'm coming. And in the work of us going at this together, the world will see the real presence of God in this world. There's a complaint when I have conversation with non-believers that I don't see God. And I say, yes, that's a comment of the Christians, aren't you? Yes, I don't see Christians acting in love in this crazy climate. I don't hear a comforting word. I just see rebuke, rebuke, disagreement, angry, infighting among Christians. But here am I as an outsider in dire need and the Christian spends most of the time trying to bite each other's head off and not seeing that I need a helping hand. And I say, I'm sorry, because I am a part of that too. Because I have not reached out to you. The power that comes is not because we want to, we decide to, we choose to, but God empowers us into the world and the power is already available and it's waiting for us to, to dwell into it. But because we're not doing the work that He's asked us to do, the power can flow. Can flow. That a church in Singapore is still the same today as 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because we're not doing what God has called the church to do and God is allowing the pandemic to sweep the church and says, Church, what are you doing? Do I need to take away this building, take away the meeting, take away the worship, take away your pastors, arrest him and put him in prison before you do the work? I'm not asking you to do a lot. I'm just asking you to love and serve. This, to some, would would be, no, actually none of you are that age. So this is Jalan Baha Camp, SEDF, before it moved to the awesome new Civil Defense Academy. 
for those of you who know this place, online some of you may know, uh, I was the first civil defense uh, recruit from uh, Advent the Adventist Church. Um, so this is where I, 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 I was a part of. So my training camp is there. Um, the other side is where the taller building is. We were on the fifth floor. And one of the craziest things that they do, I don't know whether they do it anymore, is the Hell Week. Right? The Hell Week is uh, that whole week just before we POP, they will, at any time of the day, which is most likely after 2 a.m., they'll wake you up, and all of you have to gather downstairs, full uniform, full gear, get onto the truck, roll off, and do an exercise of uh, crisis uh, rescue. And then somebody has to be picked as the IC in charge of the platoon simply because he went to poly. Because it's like, there was like, who graduated from secondary school? No, no, it was like, who graduated from primary school? Who graduated from secondary school? Who graduated from poly or JC? I was the only one. And so he said, hey, you're a scholar. I'm not a scholar, man. I just made it through. So I'm the IC, so what the IC do? IC have a choice of two things. Right, so our dorms are broken up. The platoon is about 35 of us, and each dorm has eight people. Eight people. You have a choice. Right? It happened during the week. Because you just constantly, like, you can't sleep because you're so stressed. And anytime the thing goes, the corporal knocks on the window, like, wake up, and the bell rings. Because it's not just us. There's the Alpha, there's the Bravo, I'm Bravo, there's the Charlie, and there's the Delta. And, and then when that happens, everybody's like, is it me? Is it me? So for the whole week, nobody slept well. We're always on our toes. And so it happens, right? I see, we see. So, see, nobody sleeps, right? So when it happens, all of us go look out and see, okay, maybe we can learn from them. Let's not repeat the mistake. And Alpha was, unfortunately, Alpha, they always get it first. So 1, 3 a.m., the bell rings, and then we see this go rushing down, and the IC did a stupid thing. He only got his bunkmates down. So we all look down, and we go, what's happening? So eight of them go there, fully geared, boom. And then you hear the angriest, angriest shout from the left. And the, Where is your platoon? And then he goes like, we are here. Eight of you. Okay. And the eight of them ran for two hours around the field. And we're like, whoa. Yeah. So what the IC is supposed to do is not just to get dressed and run downstairs with your friends. It's to go to each of the dorm and kick people out of the bed and turn them off and say, wake up! It's either all of us get down there or none of us get down there. And so as you run through, you wake your platoon mate out, they curse and swear at you. Some even take the helmet and throw at you. I want to sleep! I say, you sleep, we all die, let's get up. And you drag, there's one guy which I told you about, doesn't know how to tie his shoelace, he learned how to tie his shoelace by this point, but the moment he freaked out, he forget how to tie his shoelace. And then so you bend down your knees, you tie your shoelaces, and you just get out. And there was one guy who is just such a deep sleeper. We pour water on his face and he wouldn't wake up. So guess what? We carried him, man. We lifted him up in the bed. We brought him down. We threw him on the floor and he still didn't wake up. Finally, the inject came and the inject says, he has this magic voice. He walked over to that boy, kicked him, wake up. And this guy like, we're like, Inchik, you. What are you going to do in the time of crisis, which we are a part of now? 
You're going to make it through by yourself. Grab your friends. You're going to work the whole platoon up with you. So either you all make it or no one makes it, hey? So that's what I'm going to leave with you. Think about as I go on my sabbatical. <laughs> Think about what we're going to talk about next year. I really am asking God, what am I going to talk about next year? Because what I talked about in 2020 was a prediction of 2021 that I got horribly wrong. <laughs> All my plans was like out the window. So I need to ask God who knows. And I think he'll show us that what we should do for 2022. Amen. receive the benediction. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the empowerment, companionship of Holy Spirit be with you as you leave this place and may you exude out into wherever you go that people will see Christ among them. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>